0: Everybody, and welcome to episode 99 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, and coming to you live for the first time in two weeks and joining me for the first time in a while. Good friend of the program, Joe Lucia. What's up, man?
1: How are you doing, Brad? It's been uh it's been since September since I've been on. So uh like a lot went on like in October, and since then it's been just completely dead so it's not as if uh it's not as if anyone is missing my spectacular insight on all the huge (laughs) trades the Braves have made
0: yeah I mean uh it's been very very dead that's probably the overarching theme of the entire offseason I know you cover the league uh sort of as a whole uh, more than a lot of people do and it's kind of been that way for everybody so it's not just the Braves I mean the Braves at least pulled off the the one big weird salary moving trade uh Early in the off season, and then since then, basically nothing. But that's actually more than a lot of teams have done uh, since the season ended. Because uh, more than anything, man, it's very, very dead. And honestly, I wanted to ask you, pretty, I mean, pretty early here, like how much do you think? I mean, there's been that little, like, what's sort of what's behind this? Because there's a lot of different narratives that are out there as to why. Everything is so quiet, even just you know, baseball-wide, not necessarily with the Braves, between the collusion angle and just the weirdness of the, of the relief market, all that fun stuff. So what do you think is behind this, both as, as sort of the league-wide perspective and why the Braves have been so quiet? I think
1: like most things in life, there's no one simple answer. There's a lot of issues coming together. And I, I wouldn't deny that a small part of that may be related to collusion. But of course, you can't just throw that out there because people are going to buy it hook, line and sinker and immediately read into it and dig into it as if it's fact when it probably really isn't. But I think we're looking at A situation where there's a robust trade market, so teams aren't going to need to necessarily throw down that $100 million on J.D. Martinez or Jake Arrieta or or whomever. Uh, The free agent class next winner is stacked with Harper and Machado and potentially Kershaw. It's absolutely loaded. So I think a lot of the teams are saving money for that. There's the luxury tax issue, which uh, has resulted in teams like the Yankees and the uh, Dodgers just not spending money when they usually spend money like drunken sailors. And I think another issue that could come into play is uh, teams are a bit unsure of their revenue streams going forward. Because if you want to like start signing these long-term deals, I mean, you don't know if... Uh, when the next uh, ESPN contract comes up for renegotiation, you don't know if they're going to give you the same amount of money. They might just bow out. They might uh, they might end up giving baseball less. Uh, there's not going to be these big MLB advanced media payouts anymore since most of the companies already been sold. I think you can't just kick the can down the road like teams have been willing to do before because, oh, we have all of this money coming in the future. It might be a situation where uh, baseball as a whole sees some of their revenues – Actually, stagnate or drop, and teams haven't just built that into their uh, calculations going forward.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's good to point out that there's so many different things that, that it could be. And, uh, you know, some teams have done some stuff, and the Braves are sort of in this interesting spot in that they are sort of done with the full on rebuild portion, but at the same time, they don't have all of these like obvious openings or necessarily a, a, a huge desire to go out and spend a ton of money for agency. So that kind of results with the team being. Uh, eerily similar to the one that was last year. I know you and I talked about this before we started recording a little bit, but uh, how are you feeling about the roster itself just because it is so similar to last year and obviously with the way last year's results were not not exactly fantastic?
1: Well, I mean, last year the Braves lost 90 games, and there's, I mean, no reason to look at this roster and think, oh, yeah, this is a team that's definitely not going to lose 90 games again this year. I mean, they bring back almost all of the exact same players from last season – with and most of the exceptions of people they're not bringing back were guys who actually positively contributed, like uh, Jaime Garcia, R.A. Dickey. They were guys who, you know, they weren't great, but combined they logged 300 innings, made nearly 50 starts, and were the Braves' second and third best starters. They're gone next year, and I mean, Gohara was great when he came up, but again, he's still a young guy. You don't know what you're going to get out of him. He might go backwards. The offense was underwhelming last year. They bring back this the same real cast of characters minus minus uh minus Matt Kemp and uh, I just don't see this offense really improving to the point where they're suddenly going to jump to like that next level where you look at this team and say okay this is a contending club it just doesn't seem like they've done enough and I think a lot of us expected that contention window to open in 2018 I think we can push it back another year to 2019 at this point
0: yeah, that's probably safe to assume. I think I, you know we get the rap, at least I do, of uh, being a little bit too negative, and I think that's. Probably just because the fan bases, as as fan bases tend to be, very very optimistic, which is sort of what it is. But I think your point is a good one in that, I mean, there are reasons to be optimistic versus last year. We talk about maybe a full a full season from Freddie Freeman, who missed you know 50 games or so last year. You have Ozzy Alves for a full season. You you would imagine B. Swanson will not be as bad as he was a year ago. But at the same point in time, there are also guys who you expect to probably take a step back, like Suzuki and Flowers. I can't imagine those guys doing the same thing they did last year combined with 31 home runs and uh, just being generally awesome. And there, there's some there's some reasons to think that some guys are going to be cooling off a little. I, I do think the offense will be a little better, even as Chrome constructed, but still not, not enough better. To like, I mean, I've seen some of the stuff of people people projecting, you know, mid-80s wins. I don't really see that on the current roster. I think that's, I mean, that's a possible outcome if everything goes really, really well. But like, as, as far as a projected outcome, that seems pretty insane to me when you talk about just exactly what it is right now. Obviously, there is room for the Braves to make another move or two um, between now and the start of the season. I'm not saying this is going to be the roster, but if it is, I think uh, it's safe to say that I'll be lower than the consensus on them based on what I've seen so far.
1: Yeah, I think the absolute ceiling for them going into next season is 500 and even then I think that's I think that's a bit high and I'm looking at the FanGraphs projections right now. They have the Braves at 74 and 88, which is a whopping 2 wins better than last season. So, uh I mean, you also have to look at the division. I mean, the Marlins are clearly going to be worse. I think the Phillies are going to be better, the Mets are probably going to be a little bit better the nationals are still going to win the division by double digits so it's not a situation where you can immediately look at the division and say oh okay the braves are the only team getting better while the other teams are kind of trending downward i don't think that's the case at all
0: absolutely and i mean even the pitching staff which i definitely want to get into a little bit more on this pod than the than the lineup itself but um you you look at you look at the for instance the fan the leaderboard from last year uh, you know, number two and number three in terms of the pitching staff for R.A. Dickey and Jaime Garcia, neither of which are going to be on this team. So um, I'm, I'm not saying that Julio gonna be is going to finish fifth in, uh, in war between pitchers again, necessarily, but there's a possibility that he does, and uh, obviously the young guys are are more exciting than the stop gaps that were in their places last year in a lot of ways. But I think it's uh, pretty aggressive to assume a whole lot more from the pitching staff again. Um, I mean, maybe the bullpen I assume will probably be a little bit better because it was so bad at different points last year. But still, I mean, you look at the look at the bullpen. It's not like they had done this huge uh, th- these huge things to really address it. It's kind of just banking on internal improvement right now. And again, I know they're going to probably add somebody somewhere between now and April, but. Yeah, man. It's, it's, it's tough. I know it, it being so quiet makes it difficult to talk about this stuff without just looking straight back at 2017. But you kind of have to look at the past to sort of indicate the future. It's probably the best way to do it right now.
1: Yeah, and I also think it's a bit presumptive to think that all of the young pitching that debuted last season are automatically going to get better last year, like uh, Newcomb and Gohara. And uh, I don't even think Sims and Freed are going to be part of the long-term plan, but they were both uh, pretty poor during their uh, stints in the majors last year. But I mean, look at he, uh He had a pretty disappointing 2017, and I think coming into the year, we all expected him to take that step forward. The only real step forward was the fact that he stayed healthy, which for him is just gold stars all around. But the fact that he didn't make that leap like everyone thought he would makes me makes me a little pessimistic that all the other young pitchers that struggled at points last year are going to uh, shake out the cobwebs a little bit next season.
0: Yeah, I wanted to ask about the rotation, so let's just do that now. I mean, I think you know, aside from Brandon McCarthy, who I definitely want to ask you about as well, you have the three young guys with Fulty, you have Sean Newcomb and Luis Johara, and then you have the guys you mentioned that probably aren't be in the mix. But I mean, I think Max Freed's probably a level above uh, Lucas Sims, but uh, I'd be pretty surprised if he was in the rotation uh, at least on the on the on opening day. So out of those guys. I mean, maybe maybe one of those guys hits, maybe even two of those guys hit, but it'd be pretty surprising if all three of them were legitimately positive contributors this year. Is that is that too much to say?
1: <sighs> yeah, I mean,
0: I, I, I know they're honestly, all talented, but like it's they're all young and unproved. I mean, I, I know Newcomb had some moments in the majors, and Johar was pretty good as well, at least in the in the grand scheme of things. But it's sort of a big leap to be relying on those guys from from moment one. I know Newcomb made 19 starts last year and was decent, but. Uh, just having all three of those guys, and Fulty, you know, is kind of what he's been. I, I think Fulty's fine, but until we actually see him make another step, you kind of have to assume that he's this guy, which is just okay and not not awful by any means, but not very good either.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat as you in that I really like McCarthy, but at the same time, he's not some kind of absolute durable workhorse like the Braves thought they were getting with Cologne and they kind of got from Dickey. I mean, he only made 16 starts last year. He made nine starts in 2016. He made four starts in 2015. He's not a guy that's going to go out there and give you 200 innings. He's only thrown 200 innings once, qualified for two ERA titles in his career. He's not a guy that's going to just be this durable long-term workhorse it's going to eat so many innings and then I think that's going to uh, be passed down on some of the younger guys a little where uh, you have you mentioned those uh, two or three guys along with uh, Faulty and Tehran for uh, the rotation spots I-, I think it's going to be a situation where that depth is going to need to be stretched and I don't want to see guys like Whistler and Blair end up getting more innings this season but they may have to get turned to once uh once some of these uh, young pitchers end up faltering or McCarthy and remember Scott Casimir is still around too. He hasn't pitched at all since 2016. He could end up being some kind of a contributor. And if, uh, if they're on the shelf or struggling, we could be in a situation where uh, the four a prospects, the guys that we don't really want to be part of a long-term plan are turned to once again next year.
0: Yeah, I mean you have uh, you have the five projected starters, and then you have Freed and Sims, and then you have Casimir and then after that um, it gets kind of ugly. You know, you, you mentioned obviously Whistler and Blair are the guys who've just been around for a while here, but neither of which will be exciting at all. Um, and then below that you get into your next tier of guys who really aren't really a thing unless you're. Hoping that, you know, some of your super young guys make huge leaps this year, which is very, very aggressive to uh, at least bank on. So, I don't know, they have reasonable depth in some ways, but also it's a lot of uh, speculative depth in that they're all young, aside from Casimir. And Casimir's been so banged up, and I think you pretty much have to assume nothing from him. And if you get something from him, that'd be, that'd be great. I mean, he is, he's been good in the past, but... Um, you know, based on his injury history and his current health, even, you can't really assume anything from Casmir. So I think it's safe to say that you're going to see nine, 10 starting pitchers over the course of the year, maybe more than that. And uh, you kind of have to bank on that until otherwise known, especially when we're talking about potential in- innings caps, too. I mean, the Rays aren't saying that necessarily, but I'd be pretty surprised if, you know, all of these guys end up throwing 150, 150 plus innings this year because that's just not something that usually happens.
1: Yeah. And I mean, when, when it gets to that point, if. If these guys are able to make like 25 starts, I, I think that'll be considered a win. If uh, we're not relying, I say we. Oh god, I hate doing that. But if uh, the Braves aren't, uh, <laughs> I understand. It's a Braves podcast. They're not podcast. relying on the guys like uh, the guys cut out of that uh, Joel De La Cruz mode for uh, Williams too Perez often. and uh, Williams Perez. Yes, and, uh, Sugar- and good old Sugar Ray. I forgot about him. Oh, if those guys are only getting like one or two starts, it, it'll be decent. But uh, if they're turning to them every fifth day, it, it's it's going to get ugly.
0: Yeah, for sure. And uh, just one more thing on the rotation. Uh, there's there's already sort of the buzz. that Same thing we got last year with Fulte, um from Brian Snicker and talking about how Sean Newcomb and Luis Johar are not guaranteed rotation spots. I think we kind of assume they're going to be there, but is there any chance, you know, barring injury, that those guys are not the rotation? Could we see Max Free perhaps beat one of those guys out, or, you know, for some reason Casimir was healthy? Could we could we see that? Is there any? I mean, how likely is it that we'll see anybody but these five guys if they're all healthy?
1: I think Newcomb would be the wild card just because of how high that walk rate has always been. He's kind of a guy that can be really erratic at times, which we, which we didn't really see at all with uh, Johara last year. But Newcomb is going to be so all over the map, and I think we could end up seeing a, a situation like uh, we saw last season with Mauricio Cabrera, where we all thought he was going to be like the next big lights-out reliever, and he struggled with his command, and he didn't make an appearance in the majors all season.
0: Yeah. Cabrera is the guy. It's like, Oh, he throws 102. It's like, yep. And he can't throw the ball anywhere near the plate. Uh, I mean, not, Newcomb's not as bad as that, but, uh, I mean, I've been the guy forever banging the drum that, you know, until Newcomb shows that you, that you, he's not going to walk five guys per nine, you can't trust him. And there were brief moments where it, where it looked better than that, but, you you look at the at the full season production and like the the walk rates just what it is man like he goes out and walks twelve and a half percent of his of his batters that's not gonna get anything done for you I mean it's just what it is like his stuff can be really good the strikeout rates really encouraging you know all that fun stuff but at a certain point walk rates for starting pitchers like are what they are you don't see guys succeed with his current walk rate. No matter, what, no matter what what, else they do and uh, you know, at, at, until we see something different because we never saw it in the minors either. So it's at, something has to, the light has to come on somewhere for me to actually buy it with Sean Newcomb. But I think, I mean, for, I mean, my thing is how bad does he have to be in spring training to not be in a rotation? I think it has to be pretty bad.
1: It would have to be pretty ugly. But uh, with Newcomb, the only guy in baseball who threw at least 100 innings and had a higher walk rate than Newcomb was Wade Miley. That's, who is that's not a guy you want to be in the same sentence with. Wade Miley, that's uh, uh that's not too great. But yeah. uh, kind of strangely, Tyler Chatwood was just a couple of spots under him with a walk rate of uh, 4.69 per nine innings, and he got a three-year deal from the Cubs. So uh, so maybe it's not all for naught. But then again, Chatwood did a 58% ground ball rate, and Newcomb is nowhere near that.
0: Yeah, I mean, Newcomb's going to— it's not that he, again, it's not that he was bad last year. I mean, he had uh, he had a 4.3 ERA in 100 innings, a 4.19 FIP. Like, it's not like he was terrible. He was a reasonable major league starter. But your ceiling is lowered considerably when you walk that many guys. Like, I, I know strikeout stuff is there. I know how good of an arm he has. But um, you just can't live when you walk guys like that. It's just kind of the math of it.
1: Yeah, I mean he, he he was fine. He wasn't completely wretched by any circumstance, but he didn't have that a ceiling that we've kind of come to expect from him being the centerpiece in the Simmons Trade and a guy who has been talked about for gosh, years now with like number 1, number 2 starter potential and he just did not show that at all last year.
0: Yep, oh, the Simmons Trade. Let's move on <laughs> immediately from that. Um Sort of the big name, the guy with with most of the buzz in Braves country, especially during this dead point, has been about Christian Yelich. I actually don't know how you feel about Yelich in general. I I have a feeling uh, it's going to depend on uh, what what you have to give up for him. But is that a guy you'd be targeting if you were the Braves? I know he's very good at baseball, but not everyone agrees that that should be a Braves target. And if they do agree with that, uh, not everybody agrees on what the Braves should be willing to give up. So kind of where are you with this Yelich thing, knowing full well that uh, you know, it's not like the Braves are bidding against themselves. A lot of teams are interested in Christian Yelich, and of course, the Marlins have to have to at least decide to trade him, which, they've done, which they haven't quite done yet.
1: The Yelich thing is really difficult for me because I love the player; he's fantastic, but I just don't know if he would be a great fit for the Braves right now, especially with as many teams are as in the bidding for him. Like the Marlins don't need to settle for. Two dimes on the dollar for Yelich, they can demand whatever they want from uh, these teams that want to trade for him. And if it would take Acuna from the Braves as the headliner of a package for Yelich, well, it really doesn't help the Braves long term because they would still need another outfielder in 2019. All this would do was essentially is replace Acuna in the Braves lineup for next season with Yelich, Markekis leaves after 2018, and then the Braves are still needing a third outfielder. I would prefer a situation where Yelich is that long-term third outfielder, so they don't need to go back to the well so soon again, and they have that outfield of Yelich, Acuna, and and Ciarte for the next five years or however long it would be. If the Braves end up having to just – trade essentially Acuna for Yelich in that lineup, it doesn't really help them all that much long term. It just kind of trades youth and cost control for a known commodity making more money, and I'm not sure if that is really the best move for them long term.
0: Yeah, I think it's funny. As soon as Acuna's name get mentioned, uh, basically everybody just shuts down, which I understand. is the number one prospect in baseball. He's a monster. Like we, we all understand that. Uh, what I find always amusing to me is that, uh, as all the Braves fans that just don't want to trade anybody to get Christian Yelich, like you throw out what I think is a reasonable package. It will probably take you know four guys from your system and a couple of top, a couple of your top guys to get him. And it's like, oh, that's so much for Christian Yelich. I'm like, well, Christian Yelich has basically been a four or five WAR player in three, three of the last four years. He's he's awesome. He's cheap. He's 26. Like that's the price that it's gonna pay. Like uh, there, there's a lot of Braves fans who are like, well, we, we you, you, have, you absolutely cannot trade Ozzy Albies for Christian Yelich. I'm like, I would do that, um, pretty, pretty quickly. Honestly, I wouldn't do much more than Ozzy Albies, but I think if you, Yelich uh, you know, is just so much safer. I understand why you wouldn't want to do that. All that fun stuff. You definitely want to go out and uh, trade guys that you're not quite as uh, fond of if you can. But as you mentioned, it's very important to note that the Marlins are taking offers from a lot of different teams, and they're not going to just take the offer that you want to give them. Like it's one, of the, it's one of those uh, you know all-time things. When you talk about trades that involve prospects, is that. Uh, guys are always uh, the trade. You, you always have to give, give up more than you think you have to give up for a for a premium asset like this, and Yelich is a premium asset. If he's not this like super duper star player, he is a he's he's in, he's in the, in, the, in the next level down, and he's so cheap and locked up for so long that uh, he actually is a premium asset.
1: Yeah, I mean the Braves would definitely have to give up one. I would only give up one of the top three prospects in the system for him. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go too crazy and give up. Sure two two of this Albies, Acuna, Allard, Wright, Foursome. I would only go with one of those and then... A bunch of other guys. You probably have to give up and like and four guys total. And build a package around that instead yep. of trying to keep all of those. But uh, it would be so difficult to just make the trade for Yelich while still keeping the team strong for next year and beyond. I just don't think the pieces are going to fit with the way this uh, rebuild appears to be going right now. Because it's not like Yelich would be the final piece of the puzzle. There's still a lot of holes in this team long-term, and I just don't think giving up four potentially premium assets for Yelich would be the best move for this organization at this
0: time. Is that... Um- Is that- was that because of the fact, I mean, there's a lot of people who are skeptical of him in general. Some of that's because of the power. So You know, you, you see the comps in Nick Marcakis, um, all that fun stuff. I think that's kind of, some of is kind of, some of the stuff is kind of silly. But what would what would be the reason why you would not think that would be a good idea right now, just because of where they are in their timeline? Is it something to do with Yelich? Like, tell people a little bit more about why you think that. Yeah, it's less
1: about Yelich himself and more about the way the rest of the team is constructed. I mean, the Braves don't know what the rotation is going to be like long term. They still don't have uh, an answer at third base. They don't know what they're getting out of shortstop. They're, God knows who's going to be the catcher in 2019. Like half of the positions on the diamond still have question marks that Yelich uh, kind of reminds me of a guy that you would acquire if you're like one piece away. If you're like... Uh, Sigh who is a team that is like on the precipice. If you're like the Brewers and you needed an outfielder to make that leap to the next level, Yelich would be the kind of guy I targeted, you know, like that, that 84, 86 win team where you need one more piece to push you over the edge. I don't think Yelich is that kind of guy for the Braves. And yeah, you could add him to the core building blocks, but you would still have all these holes around him that you need to be, that need to be filled and you don't know how you're going to fill them.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to note, but I think that's uh, it's a perfectly reasonable opinion for sure. I think Yelich is again very, very good and a great asset, but because he's going to be valued as such by the Marlins, I mean the Marlins have done some crazy things in the past, so I wouldn't put it by them to uh, undersell on the Yelich. But because the market is so robust for him, because he is so valuable, I can't imagine them taking this just just taking an awful deal for him. And, and once they do that. You're paying fair your market value, and you know I'd still probably do that if it came down to it. But I, the urgency quite isn't quite there, and for all the reasons that you laid out, because of the fact that that the Braves are not right there. I mean, the, the argument for him would be that he's locked up for so long that you don't necessarily have to be right there. But at the same time, if you're paying that kind of premium for him, you would like you would like to see sort of pretty current results from it. And uh, it wouldn't be his fault if he, if the Braves weren't suddenly awesome. But uh, I think they're pretty much they're far enough away where it's not like he's going to single handedly push them to the division title.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would rather trade lesser prospects or fewer great prospects for Yelich and a couple other of those Marlins bad contracts like way uh, and Chen way and Chen, Martin Prado uh, a couple of the re- relievers I know uh, I think Brad Ziegler is one of them and Taza was another one they have they're making dumb money for middling relievers next season those would be the kind of guys I would like to take on along with Yelich just to kind of uh, and it, it wouldn't make the team like that much more hamstrung going forward because they those guys actually could conceivably help them a little bit in the future as well
0: yeah I mean it's interesting to note those guys that are that potentially would be available because I mean they're all they're all available but you know Wayne Shen's contract is, is pretty brutal uh he's owed uh, a lot a lot of money 12.6 in 2018 22 point6 2019 twenty four point6 2020 and 16 million in 2021 so he is the the absolutely brutal asset, but a guy like Ziggler, who's only nine million for this year, and Tozawa, who's only seven million for this year, those guys are expiring contracts. To be a lot like what the Braves went out and did for the uh, in the Dodgers deal, take on a lot of mo- a lot of money for this year, clear the books for the future. I would be all about taking some, t- taking back some of that money. Or even Prado, I mean, Prado, Prado's contract is not great, but it's only two more years, eighteen and nineteen, and you know he can still sort of help you in some ways, even if he's overpaid. So yeah, I'm with you 100 percent on that. I'd be definitely more inclined to. Um, take on some bad money, especially right now if you're the Braves. I, I think Chen is probably a bridge too far unless you're getting something else out of the deal because that, that, that deal is actually as bad as it sounds. Um, but everybody else, sure, take them on and yeah, that, if you can lessen your prospect load a little bit, that's, that's probably the way to do it.
1: Yeah, I forgot how much they backloaded that it's contract. That so was, much
0: money, I know. Oh, that was
1: uh, insane. Uh, another guy that I think we both forgot about since he hasn't played a game with the Marlins. He had a Starlin Castro who was actually he was pretty good last year for the Yankees, and he came over. He does not want to be a Marlin. He's only signed through 2019, so that wouldn't be a, that wouldn't be a super aggressive deal. So uh, he's someone else that maybe could be in the fray.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting guy. I think he's probably I mean, if you if you if you go on last year, he's even either, either appropriately paid or even maybe even a little bit a little bit of a bargain. So I can't imagine Miami's looking to just give him away. But if he doesn't want to be there and you know raises raises hell behind the scenes, um, maybe the urgency level goes up a little bit. And obviously Yelich is sort of the same way. I think Yelich is probably taking a pretty polite tact. But I think everybody knows, including the Marlins, he doesn't want to be there anymore. So. I don't know. That's a really weird team that you have to pay a lot of te- a lot of attention to in the next couple of months because they might they don't they don't have any urgency necessarily. I mean, they probably take, take take this thing into February and even March before they actually pull the trigger on a deal because they're kind of in reverse right now. As we could talk about if it was if this is a baseball podcast, we would do a whole lot of the Marlins right now, Joe. But. We'll hold back because they're, they're yeah, a disaster. and
1: they could they could end up taking this all the way out to the All Star break because Maybe. if a team because if a team like I don't know the Texas Rangers is kind of like right there on the brink and they need an upgrade they they have the capital where they could pull something off and make it really worth the Marlins' while
0: for sure and uh, I think I have a that we'll be talking about Yelich for a couple more weeks at least and we'll see until he, until he gets moved somewhere that's not the Braves or to the Braves. It'll be a topic of conversation unless the Braves just like announced that they're going to bow out, which I can't imagine is actually going to happen. So he'll be out there, and we'll, uh, we'll keep an eye on that for sure. Uh, we sort of mentioned uh, in passing uh, during that conversation the uh, the third base issue, and I wanted to ask about Austin Riley and this whole thing. I know we talked about it a bunch, but I want to get your opinion on the, the notion of blocking Austin Riley, which drives me up a wall. Um, and Austin Riley is an interesting player in general. So where are you at with third base in general? Because right now you have, you have Camargo, you have Ruiz, you have – Obviously, Riley coming, at least in theory, in the future. But third base is probably above all else the most unsettled position on the roster, at least for 2018. Uh, If you were talking about 2019 and beyond, catcher jumps into that competition pretty quickly. But 2018, third base is really the only flat-out question mark going into the season. So uh, where are you at on that whole situation, including Riley?
1: Man, I don't even know who the third baseman is gonna be this season. I that's assume it's gonna, I have no idea. I assume it's gonna be Camargo, but there really isn't anyone that like immediately jumps out, which is which is pretty terrifying because that position has really been a revolving door since uh Chipper retired. There hasn't been like that long term building block that's been there for years upon years upon years. It's always just Do been not kind of-
0: do not denigrate Chris Johnson, Joe. We don't wanna do that. I'm kidding, by the way. <laughs> uh,
1: I, I have to throw out a mention to my boy Juan Francisco, who that is by one. far the greatest third baseman we've ever seen. But uh, there hasn't been like that long-term answer at the position. So I think when Braves fans see a guy like Riley having a uh, strong minor league career so far, they kind of latch on to it because they want him to uh, – kind of be the heir apparent to be the next guy that's kind of just uh there at uh at third base for the long term but I don't think he's going to end up being that type of player because I don't even know if he's a top 100 prospect at this point he's a guy that's performed really well in a few short stints in the minors but he hasn't you know completely torn it up been the best prospect on his team in his league in his position he's he's a good prospect don't get me wrong but he's not this kind of like life-changing prospect like you see with Acuna or uh Mike Trout when he was coming up or Manny Machado or Bryce Harper. He's not in that class. And those are the type of players you don't block long term. Austin Riley isn't a guy you block long term just because he doesn't have that. He doesn't have that cash and he doesn't have that dominant level of performance. We haven't seen that from him yet. And maybe it'll come. Maybe 2018 is going to be this incredible breakout year. and He's the starting third baseman in August for the Braves and the majors. But he could also take steps backwards. We've seen prospects do that before, and he has all the signs of a guy who just might not ever put everything together and be a long-term contributor. So if the opportunity to comes to get a guy like a uh, Mike Moustak, it's not a bargain two- or three-year deal, he's still unsigned. If that somehow happens and – I don't think that's something you can just ignore because you don't want to block Austin Riley. I think you have to consider what makes the team better in 2018 and also 2019 and 2020 and paying Mike Moustakis 15 million a year or 12 million a year or whatever it is might be a better bet than rolling the dice with Camargo this year and hoping Riley puts it together to take over in the second half for the rest of the decade.
0: Yeah. I mean, I feel bad because it's not really about Austin Riley for me. It's like, the notion, it's, it, people just say, if they do this they, this very simple calculation, like, oh, all right, who's our best third base prospect? It's Austin Riley. Well, we can't block him. He's really good. It's like, well, he's, he's really good. He's a good prospect. Listen, I mean, talking chop, our guys have it number six in the system, and the Braves have a really good system. So, like, that's a pretty impressive prospect. With that said, uh, outside of the uber elite guys, I wouldn't be worried about blocking anyone. The only guys on this in the system right now that I would care about blocking would be Acuna and Albies. That's, that's the full list. I mean, nobody else. I mean, if, if if guys play into that, that's great. If Riley comes out and just is incredible in 2018 and suddenly becomes a top 50 prospect in baseball, then you start worrying about the future. But um, for me, the calculus for 2018 or whether to sign a guy like Moustakis or some sort of stopgap to a reasonable deal, you, you wouldn't want to overpay but at the same time, like blocking a guy like Austin Riley is not a thing. I mean, he's not even a top 100 prospect. As you mentioned, most most places do not do not have him as a top 100 prospect in baseball. Those guys are not. I mean, guys who are, who fall out of the top 100 are are not usually uh, um, quote unquote blocked in the systems. It's like if you if hit the hits. He hits if, if not, like figure it out, man. Like I just don't think it's again all due respect to Austin Riley, who actually is a good prospect and who certainly could become a good major league player. He is not the kind of prospect that you worry about blocking. That's just that's the simple way to put it.
1: Yeah, and like you said, this this isn't about like Austin Riley, the person. It no. never – it never is. This isn't some kind of personal referendum on Austin Riley at all. But he, these things have a way of working themselves out. We've been saying this for years. People get hurt. People get traded. People regress. People progress. People have to shift positions we really can't worry about third base being blocked for Austin Riley because if Austin Riley's good enough, he'll knock whoever's blocking him out of the way.
0: Absolutely. Right. And uh, we'll see what happens there. I mean, I guess going into the year, if, if, the, if the season began today, of course, the famous phrase um, would, I assume it would be co- some sort of combination between Camargo and Ruiz at third base, um, which is interesting uh, to say the least. I'm not, terribly impressed by that where are you on camargo while we're here without going too long i'm firmly in the he's not a full-time starter especially at third base camp with with his bat but maybe i'm crazy um but he also could be the best option today and that's not the same thing though like saying he's not a full-time starter and which is where i am and saying he's the best player right now which is a, also where i am sort, sort of sounds funny but i think you kind of have to play him even if he's not necessarily a guy who profiles as an everyday third baseman
1: yeah, I think he I think his ceiling is something of like a Martin Prado type of guy who can play three or four positions, hit at a decent clip, but if you're playing him every day, you're probably not that great of a team.
0: Yeah, I mean he's young enough to where it could just be different. Like obviously he hit the ball really well last year. He posted a 102 WRC in 82 games, about 250 plate appearances, that's a, a reasonable sample of him being a solid hitter. But he had a really, really high bat-bip, like an unsustainably high one. If you compare that to the rest of his career, and uh, I know people were talking about, well, he's you know he's he's so young, that this could be real. I'm like, yeah, but if you look at the minor league numbers, like he never had any pop really. I mean, he was routinely slugging in the slugging in the mid in the mid 300s in the minors, like. I still don't think he can hit personally. I mean, maybe I'll be wrong about that. I'll be happy to be wrong if he's suddenly a guy who's actually going to be a league average hitter. But I just don't really see that. And um, if he doesn't, if he doesn't doesn't hit like that, he has to be a sort of utility man, super, super 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 backup guy, which is fine. I think that's a very good outcome for a guy like Camargo, who especially you know, as of a year ago this time, even. No one thought he was going to even be necessarily a major leaguer, much less a starting caliber third baseman. So people people got really excited when he got when he had that hot streak early in the year um, and got you know started you know penciling him to be uh, penciling him in ahead of uh, Dansby Swanson at shortstop. There's a lot of that. Like, why is why is Swanson still playing over Camargo? And it's like, well, because one guy was the number one pick in the draft and one guy's going on Camargo but
1: uh, I know I, small, small samples are everything in they baseball. Really are. When, you see, when you see a guy have a great week, I mean, you gotta, you gotta put him in the hall of fame because you know what's coming next.
0: It's just interesting because like, I would, I would, I would totally understand it more if Camargo had been a thing before that, but look, I mean, just pull up his, pull up his page one time uh, and just check out his, 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 numbers in the minors. Like when he was, you know, posting an 82 WRC plus over a full season in single A ball, like, He's not a hitting prospect. He just and he wasn't before this. It's, there's a reason why you, why nobody had heard of him aside from our our, uh, our deeper prospect guys. It was because he wasn't a big prospect, and uh, we'll see. But I mean, he might be the best option for now in third base, which is a very very low bar to clear. I mean, it's basically him and Ruiz and Ruiz has never hit left handed pitching in his life. So yeah, I mean, platoon those guys. I guess if you're trying to win right now today, you put you probably platoon those guys, right?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean that's probably what you're trying to do. And like you said about him never really hitting in the minors. Uh, that's another reason I brought up the Prado comparison because he Prado was no, – yeah. he was never a great hitter in you're the right. minors and he turned out to be a perfectly serviceable major league hitter. I just don't think Camargo is going to be that kind of guy. And hey, that that is totally fine. But – He's not some kind of like long term answer. He's like he's a long term, like solid bench piece. I think, I think that's kind of his overall ceiling, but there's nothing wrong with that. You can make a long career and make a lot of money being a serviceable bench piece for a decade,
0: absolutely. And I think it's important to note like, there is a chance that Camargo actually is this guy. Um, That is a possible outcome. I think it's an unlikely one, but it's a possible one. But you're looking at a guy who never uh, topped even four home runs in a full minor league season. Um, that, ki- that kind of uh, lack of pop, especially at third base. if this was if this guy was a second base prospect, uh, slash maybe even shortstop prospect had a great glove, et cetera, then sure. But if you don't have any power at third base, it gets tough in a hurry you better be Brooks Robinson defensively and he's not quite that. I mean he's a good he's a good defender but he's not this like Uber elite guy either. So anyway, and it also makes his life more more difficult because the Braves don't have that much power anywhere else so to have even less power at third base. Again, not his fault, but a pretty tough fit as well. <laughs>
1: It's kind of funny you mention Brooks Robinson defensively at third base because I see some people questioning, like, why is Manny Machado worth $200 million or $300 million or whatever it is? The dude is smashing 30 bombs and he's the best defensive third baseman in the league. It's absurd. When you have that combination of offensive and defensive skills at that position, I mean, that's why you're worth $30 million a year.
0: Yeah, the same thing is like, you know, prime Josh Donaldson, like last couple of years, same thing, you know, elite defender who also has a lot of power. You know, Machado had a bad year for him last year, uh, and a bad year for him was basically a three a win player at the age of, what was he, 25 last year? Yeah. Um, maybe it's, even twenty four. It's
1: insane to think about. It. It's so crazy.
0: You know, the, the, the two years, the two years prior to that, he averaged seven seven WAR per season at the age of twenty three and twenty four. Like that guy is worth every penny, as long as he doesn't just fall apart completely. And I'm not worried about one one bad year with a really, really with a really really bad BABIP and nothing else. Basically, he basically just got unlucky for a full season. If you look at his numbers, uh, all of his hard hit stuff is the same pretty much. His BABIP just went down forty points. That's kind of what happened.
1: Man. I would love to see him block Austin Riley for the next decade. That oh, would be sure, fantastic.
0: yeah. Sign me up for Manny Machado <laughs> at all times, but uh, seems unlikely. But yeah, well, that's you know, if there's any way to do that, please uh, go ahead and pull that off, Alex Lopatilas. Um, <laughs> before I let you get out of here, uh, I did have to take one mailbag question, which I did not brief you on, so I'm doing this cold because uh, it comes from our, our good friend of the program, Scott Coleman, your friend and mine. Uh, he actually asked this last week, and I filed it away because I knew I was going to uh, ask you to come on. But he wants to know uh, the the top five Braves players in, in WAR for twenty eighteen um, in order. So I think we can probably assume Freddie Freeman's number one number one. But aside from that, uh, give me give me your give me your uh, sort of fresh off the top of your dome top five for WAR in twenty eighteen.
1: Man, this is, this is really depressing. I'm going to combine
0: – op- I'm going to obviously combine offense and pitching. Yes.
1: So uh, number one, Freeman. Number two, I will say Enciarte. That is a safe bet. Number three, I'm going to go Tehran. I think he has a strong ear. Bounces back.
0: That's not crazy.
1: Four, I'm going to go – I'm going to go crazy and say Acuna. Ooh, I like that. Right. I think he's going to have – yeah, like that solid like two-and-a-half, three-win year showing flashes of brilliance. And number five, Albies.
0: Yeah. uh By the way, before I give my list real quick, um do you think Akuna starts the year on opening day or do they hold him down until mid-April for the uh, Super <laughs> 2 stuff?
1: uh I actually need to look at the schedule really quick because I think they – I think April they have like – Two really awful road trips. Uh, Actually, they start the year at home and then go on the road. But I think – yeah, I think they do call him up in mid-April because after two straight series start the year on the home, they go (sighs) – this brutal road trip in april to colorado washington and chicago is just not fair yes. so i so i think after that uh after that cub series they go back home i think gwynette will have like one week in the can by then and they'll probably call him up by then and uh poor lane adams will be relegated to the bench
0: again sorry lane i like you a lot um all right, my, my top five would be Freeman and Ciarte. Those two are pretty much the only uh, super-duper safe guys on this list, I think, one and two. Uh, I will go Albies, number three. Um, I will go Tehran, number four, and Acuna, number five. And by the way, I almost I almost left Acuna off, uh, which is would be blasphemy, I know, and I almost put Swanson on. I still believe in Daniel Swanson. So, I still
1: I still believe in Swanson as well I just don't think he's gonna get much of a defensive boost
0: agreed I, I think um I think it's really difficult to peg another pitcher in the top five aside from Tehran if you think Tehran is the guy who was that he's been a lot you know before last year obviously he was pretty bad in 2017 but uh, his baseline before that is high enough where I think he's in this he's on this list taking anybody else is kind of a, a t- kind of a risk you know Fulte led the team last year in Fangrafts war um, from pitchers but I think I'm, I just can't do it there and then Newcomb and Johar are pretty much too volatile if you could if you could guarantee me McCarthy pitched 180 innings he'd be on this list but I will not take that guarantee. So I'll go with four position players and a pitcher. And uh, yeah, Acuna, I I, I I just don't want to get yelled at for leading Acuna off. So I'll, I'll, I'll say he's fifth, even if I'm not 100% sure on that. I think he's going to be awesome. Don't get me wrong. I just, it's tough to project guys who you've never seen in the majors as top five guys on their own team, but uh, you know he's, he's probably that good. So we'll, we'll just leave it there.
1: But then again, top five on the Braves. It is a low bar. Top five on the Braves last year. Number five was Albies, who played fifty-seven games.
0: Yeah, it was the uh, the top four was Freeman, uh, Enciarte, Suzuki, and Flowers both, which is hysterical. And then Albies number five, and then Fulty number six. So,
1: this is this is so sad. I mean, this is so sad. I
0: love Kurt Suzuki and Tyler Flowers, but if uh, if 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 the two combine for what one of those guys did last year in Fangraphs War, I will be slightly surprised. How about that?
1: Yeah, that's. A, I think that's a very safe call. I mean, if they combine for,
0: if they combine for three wins. So like Suzuki was two point seven last year, and Flowers was two point five. If they combine for three, that would be a huge win.
1: I will be shocked if the two of them combined for 15 homers this year after combining for 31, so 31. last
0: year. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Suzuki's 19 out of nowhere was just – I loved every minute of it, but uh, that is not that is not sustainable. I'm sorry, Kurt. Um, but I enjoyed yeah, it. It. Was,
1: it was completely ridiculous. He, he hit 19 homers last year, which is like more than he hit combined over the last three seasons.
0: I mean, it was his career high at the age of 33, and he did it in 309 plate appearances. <laughs> so everything,
1: everything about this doesn't make any sense. I
0: mean, his ISO was 90 points higher than any other year in his career. It was incredible to watch. I, I really enjoyed it again. Like this, is, this is not Shane at Kurt Suzuki, who provided me with a lot of entertainment last year. It was very, very good. But yeah, I don't want to see that happening again and flowers remember, is really good by the way i still i think i think flowers is like actually more legitimately good but uh you know he's still not a guy with this huge track record either like it's, it's two years now of being good before that he really wasn't very good
1: but remember the ball is not juiced at all when you see a guy like Kurt oh, Suzuki no. hitting 19 bombs
0: definitely not juiced at all that's a different conversation for another day um the, la- the last thing i wanted to get out of you here was actually your idea and uh as sort of as a, as a backdrop here, Chipper Jones is going to be in the Hall of Fame very very soon. Um, and you asked me to, t- to talk about this on the podcast. I think it's actually a great idea uh, to try to find the next member of the Atlanta Braves that will be elected to the Hall of Fame. Um, this is not a should be elected. This is a will be elected because uh, they should be. I would just say Andrew and move on, but he, I, I, he's not going to get in. I don't think so. Uh, where, where do you have? Do you actually have an answer for this, or do you actually just wanted to ask me and maybe maybe look, look silly?
1: I was actually looking over like all of the ballots for the next 5 years or whatever and there is like nobody with like actual ties to the Braves coming on the ballot that has something resembling a legitimate shot.
0: No, it's it's just it's it's Andrew and then there's nothing else. It really is. Yeah, I
1: mean well, I mean Kevin was on the ballot this year He's and, you know it's it. like slam dunk 100 percent
0: But you're looking <laughs> at
1: guy, you're looking at guys like uh Frank Core and Sorry yeah, Jeff I'm I'm pulling up the ballots again just because it's so it's so barren for oh, Dan Ugla Yes. Har- the, the immortal Aaron Harang.
0: You, you remember, uh, you remember at- when he was awesome for like a month?
1: He was. I
0: remember that. He was unhittable he was so for like good. five weeks randomly once with the Braves. And it was so much fun. And then it wasn't anymore.
1: A guy I think is going to be one and done but will forever be in the Hall of Fame of my heart and soul is Tim Hudson who had a great career, fantastic career absolutely not hall of fame worthy especially when you see guys like Johan Santana and probably eventually Roy Halladay getting one and done off the ballot it sucks but that's life but anyway the uh the next member of the Braves after Chipper to get in the hall of fame this is this is my take i think it's going to be Fred McGriff on a veterans committee ballot
0: ooh that's actually good he's that's you're probably right. Actually, I think he has a, a better chance to get in than Andrew. Um, I don't think of see. I don't think of McGriff as a brave, even though I know he obviously was one. I don't think of that as like his main team. This is why I actually just forgot about him as an option. But yeah, that's probably a good call. I think.
1: Um, Yeah, and you look at like some of these – like Alan Trammell just got put in by the Veterans Committee this year. And he topped out in his last year at 40 percent. And McGriff's a guy that is like a lot of the older writers always kind of talk him up and give him strong votes. And he's – Never really had that great balloting run. He's topped out at – he hasn't even hit 25% in his, I want to say, eight years on the ballot. So he might get some uh, attention later down the line from uh, the writers that kind of ignored Trammell for years then gave Trammell the nod. But it's it's funny because you said you didn't really think of him as a Brave. In his career, Fred McGriff had the most games, most played appearances, and most at-bats with the Braves.
0: That's uh, I would not have guessed that. I would just Dave, I'm just a moron. But no, he was really good in Atlanta. I mean, there's no question about that. I mean, he was the fire dog for a minute when he, upon arrival at Fulton County Stadium. So, uh, shout out to Fred McGriff. I think you're right on this. To be honest with you, um, if you took him out of the mix, who would you go with after that? Because I think it's funny because you know the best player on the current roster is Freddie Freeman. I think you know it is very unlikely that Freeman becomes a Hall of Fame player. It's not impossible, but it certainly is not a likely scenario. At this point in time, and uh, the rest of the roster, you're looking at the, the, the quote-unquote most likely guys not named Freddie Freeman would be the the rookies, your Albies and Acuna crop, and those guys for all of their uh, for all of Ronald Acuna's incredible prospect status, yes, folks, it's still unlikely that he, be, that he becomes a Hall of Fame baseball player. It's, it could certainly happen. He has the talent for it. But if you if you line up all the possible scenarios, uh, fewer of them equal Hall of Fame than the, than the ones that actually do not equal Hall of Fame. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, I think the next guy after Chipper who will go into the Hall of Fame with that little ATL for like one year on the bottom of his plaque, it's going to be some like random guy near the end of his career just signing on for an extra payday like say Ichiro.
0: Oh sure, he'll just yeah.
1: he'll end up just being with the Braves for one year, and it's like oh Braves Hall of Famer Ichiro, yay! Even though it's he's that did, not that, like, is, I mean, that I mean, I long-term guy.
0: I mean, Bart- but, Bartol- all, but everyone
1: for everyone from the '90s teams will be uh, uh, elected come Wednesday, and there's there's really no one left aside from Andrew that was kind of a key figure, except maybe McGriff. So you're looking at a situation where it's like it's okay, now you need to get creative.
0: Yeah, I mean. Bartolo Colon has like a fringy Hall of Fame resume. Like he's not gonna get in, I don't think. Um, And obviously, he's a very recent Brave. Um, Aside from that, man, like I'm looking at the uh, baseball Baseball Reference Hall of Fame monitor uh, lineup right now of all the guys who are likely to get in. Um, None of them have Braves ties aside from Chipper, who's about to be in, and then uh, Andrews, the next guy down. Um, that has any Braves ties, and I don't think Andrews going to get in. I'm not, I think he should. You can talk about the off-field stuff; that's definitely important to note, etc. But aside from that, man, like it's it gets ugly in a hurry. Like Freddie Freeman, granted he's still young and he's in the middle, of, so it's this. This is a number that's not going to necessarily fit with him very well. But he's outside the top 100 um, of active players in this in their Hall of Fame stat, and it's because it's cumulative numbers. So, and Freddie Freeman's what, 27 years old? Am I wrong about that? Uh, something like that he just turned 28 so yeah it's yeah man Fred Fred McGriff and that's probably gonna be it for a while maybe Ronald Acuna will just be Mike Trout from moment one and uh in five years we'll just know he's gonna be in the Hall Hall of Fame like Trout like Trout is already gonna be in the Hall of Fame we all know it and oh yeah it's
1: (laughs) it's disgusting how good he is I wish I wish the Braves had a guy like that
0: maybe they do maybe they are. do Ronald Acuna is coming
1: <laughs> maybe they do
0: maybe yes. they do we just don't know it yet not I, I I'm being funny but I again I'm not it's funny I I think if you had to pick somebody on the current roster to make the Hall of Fame it might be Acuna I mean Freddie's the most likely I guess because he's just done a lot but I think people don't understand how, how hard it is to get to the Hall of Fame Freeman would have to be this good for like eight more years ten more years to have a real chance to get the Hall of Fame, yeah, that that,
1: and I mean that's probably on the low side of things. That's what I'm saying. He has to them.
0: be, he have to be actually do this for that long, and really be this good. Like, because right now, Freddie Freeman has 166 home runs in eight seasons. Uh, he'd have to average, you know, the last two years he's averaged 31. So if he did that for, you know, eight, nine more years, he'd be at least in the 400s. And if you're a first baseman, you've got to be in the 400s to even have a prayer.
1: Yeah, pretty much. And, I mean, he doesn't have, like, that, like, award cash either. No. He's He has one top five MVP finish, two all-star teams. He has one piece of black ink, which is leading the league in a category, and that was uh, games played in 2014. So he doesn't have that going for him. He doesn't have the mythical Chipper Jones 300, 400, 500 line. He's somewhat close, but he's not – there I mean, he's, done, he's
0: done that the last two seasons So if he did that If he held, he held that line for the next 10 years Then we're talking about something But yeah, it's it's tough to overcome This is going to sound crazy But the the five years before the last two So his first five seasons in the majors He slashed 286, 368, 467 With 103 home runs So he averaged 21 homers a season for five years And it's going to be tough for him to overcome that which is a funny statement, but like those are not Hall of Fame numbers for five years. And, you know, he's, he's in his prime now, but his prime has to be a lot longer to even have a chance.
1: And it's, it's kind of funny to bring it all back. He has a career OPS plus of 137. Fred McGriff, probably future Hall of Famer, career OPS plus of 134, which includes his decline years.
0: Yeah, but uh, you know as well as I do that uh, people that vote for this particular uh, honor are not necessarily keying in on OPS plus. Uh, and Fred McGriff has four hundred ninety three home runs, which is the biggest reason why he has a chance to make the Hall of Fame. Um, and it's, cause, it's cause, by the way, it's because he played nineteen years. Like that's the way to do it. Unless you're just like this absolutely ridiculous player um, playing twenty years is probably and just getting those counting stats up are, is your best chance. And uh, you know, shouts to Fred McGriff who did that.
1: And you can't have any tie to PEDs at all; otherwise, you end up in the same boat as another brave that is on the ballot that we didn't even talk about, in Gary Sheffield.
0: Yep, shouts to Gary Sheffield. Um, you know, obviously, you know, the, any any sort of PED tie. I mean, Barry Bonds is not in the Hall of Fame, so and and probably won't be. So, just think about that for a minute. <laughs> the best baseball player I've ever seen in my life. Uh, I guess maybe maybe Trout overtakes him at some point, but at least it's at least at this point in my life, Barry Bonds is the best player I've ever seen and he's not a Hall of Fame. So there it is. Man, do
1: you remember 15 years ago when he was hitting those fastballs and made them look like beach balls?
0: I mean obviously It looked his, like he
1: wasn't even swinging hard when he was connecting and hitting them five hundred feet. It was insane. Yeah, we're,
0: we're off the rails here and obviously his his actual you know, his giants prime, like the numbers are video game. I would encourage people to just go down the rabbit hole of Barry Bond's baseball reference page when he was posting uh on percentages of, of like six hundred for full seasons and like just absolutely ridiculous numbers in his prime. Uh those were cer those were certainly uh performance enhanced, but uh pre performance enhanced bonds was pretty darn good also. So anyway oh, uh, yes. I don't want to have the I want to have the uh, the PD uh, argument right now. I do want to just say one number out loud, um, just because i pulled pulling up Bonds Baseball re- re- Reference page. Uh, 2004, Barry Bonds slashed 362, 609, 812. Wow. He had, I- these these these, these <laughs> are four consecutive years of, of, of Barry Bonds' OPS. Uh, 1.379, 1.381, 1.278, and 1.422. That's four consecutive years. Barry Bonds, four MVPs in a row. All right,
1: one more stupid Barry Bonds step before we go. In 2004, he walked 232 times. <laughs> in, in his career, over 5,661 oh, plate appearances, oh. Jeff Francoeur walked 284
0: times. <laughs> I mean... It's funny, like, Bonds... Even when Bonds was no longer Bonds, and he was 41 and 42 years old, he led the league two years in a row in walks and posted OBPs north of 450 at ages 41 and 42 when he wasn't doing anything else but just taking walks. It's it, it was It
1: incredible. was so... He played 14 games in 2005 and had 0.7 war. Yeah, he, had, he could barely... Get on the field, and he homered five times in 52 plate appearances. Yeah, please. And somehow he walked nine times.
0: Yeah, please go down the river. Uh, Everybody should do this. Just go pull up Barry Bonds' baseball reference page and uh, just look at it one day. It's a lot of fun.
1: It's so dumb, and for all the young kids who weren't really watching baseball or weren't uh, at the age where they could recognize what they were watching in the early to mid-2000s, it was – he walked 32.4 percent clip in 2002. He walked at a 37.6 percent clip in 2004. This is just ridiculous. It's making me ill.
0: Yeah, it's 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 worth a look at some point in time. Uh, all right, we're off the rails, but I appreciate it, Joe. Anything you want to get out there, man? I know you want to plug the site of the site for which you're a managing editor, or anything else you'd like. So please get it out there.
1: You can follow me on the Twitters at Joe underscore TOC, and I am the managing editor of uh, Awful Announcing, the premier uh, sports media website on the interwebs. And uh, with the Super Bowl coming up, we will likely have a uh, fair bit of content on uh, that sporting event coming up in the uh, coming days and weeks as well.
0: It's a very busy it's time, very busy for, time you for you at the moment, so uh, get ready. It's time. We're here. Football was interesting on Sunday. We won't, we won't talk about that, but you have two. You have the dreaded two week lead in the, to the Super Bowl. So enjoy that for sure.
1: I am. Uh, I'm dreading it, but it'll be okay.
0: It will be okay. The content will be made, and everybody will be okay. Well, I appreciate it, Joe. Thanks for coming on, as always, man. I will not. I, I promise I will not be. Uh, four or five months between between your visits this time around. So I will bug you again in the very near future.
1: Maybe the next time on the Braves will have signed a major league free agent.
0: Ooh, I think that probably will happen, but uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't count on it necessarily.
1: <laughs> it will. It will be a reliever.
0: Oh yeah, that'd be that's, that's true. They will, they almost have to sign a major league reliever at some point between now and April. So <laughs> there it is. Bank on that. <laughs>
1: yes, of course.
0: Thank you, sir. Uh, as for everybody else, we will be back uh, hopefully next week at the very latest. And if something happens, God forbid, if something happens in the baseball world, I promise I will do an emergency podcast. But until then subscribe to the pod on uh, iTunes and follow the site at TalkingChop.com We'll see you guys next week.